and good day. This is Tabitha. Welcome to White Wellness Radio. Today is August 30th, 2022. Broadcasting out of New York for White Wellness Radio. That song right there was Danzig with Dirty Black Summer way back in 1992. So the topic and the title 
of today's broadcast is taking back our key. And of course, key or qi, depending how you pronounce it, is a word that is used in traditional Chinese medicine to refer to energy. The Vedics called it prana, the Aryans called it vril, but it's all essentially the same thing. So today's broadcast is going to talk about how we can take that back. It's kind of like taking back our power. And I did do a broadcast quite some time ago that was actually titled Taking Back Our Power. And important information, of course, this is going to be totally different type of stuff for this show, but it's going to be a deeper way of taking back our power, that that key, that internal thing, which is deeper than someone just saying, you know, fuck off, I'm not going to wear a mask. You know, that's 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 kind of more in the realm of the exo of taking back our power. But this is kind of more um, eso, like inside working on ourselves in that kind of more fashion. So that will be the topic of today's broadcast. But first, the word of the week. All right, we're getting low on these cards. Let's see what we got right here. All right, here it is. That's a funny little word. Ordal, O-R-D-A-L. Anglo-Saxon legal term for the judgment of God. Trial by ordeal was administered in various ways, depending on the defendant's social status. Some were tested by immersing their hands in hot water. If blisters appeared, their testimony was considered flawed, which led to the modern expression being in hot water. Suspected witches were subjected to a practice known as swimming the witch, since the medium of, of water was used in baptismal rites. Water would reject a real witch, it was believed, causing her to float. And that word again is ordal. And thinking of all that, what they were just talking about right here in regards to witches, essentially, if you sunk or I guess were drowned to death, that would mean that you were a witch. But if you somehow were able to survive it and live, then you wouldn't be. We can see just how much all of this um, Talmudic religion is really in the dark ages with practices like this. And in many ways, we still live in a dark age. I mean, look, people are still wearing the costume, still believing all the Zio sludge out there, whether it's coming from the MSM, all the alt, it's just kind of a waste to even keep on top of these things. Sometimes it's good for hilarity purposes, laughter, yoga, yoga, you know, humor, things of that nature. But yeah, it's um, it's been rotten for a long time. And uh, we're definitely in the midst of a dark age. But I think things will eventually, they have to turn around. It's just like how in the Vedic tradition, we have all these yugas, all these ages, you know, and now we're in the supposedly the Kali Yuga. And then after the Kali Yuga is going to be the Satcha Yuga, which is a Yuga of the Golden Age. But as it goes right now, current current day, we definitely have a dark age situation going on in many fronts. Vaccination, transsexualism, uh, multiracialism. I could go on and on, of course. But better than talking about that would be talking about ways about how we can take back our key and vitalize ourselves, right? Isn't that more important than just keeping up with the minutia, which could really be overall really mundane? You know, who wants a mundane life? The whole point of, of living is to to thrive, not just to live, right? So let's start off talking about um, our key and how we can kind of boost our key, especially if we're dealing with things such as what they would call in TCM, key stagnation. You may ask yourself when you hear some of these terms, well, what does that mean? And oftentimes it's 
it's a very different way of looking at the body than we've been taught to look from more of a allopathic or shall I say allopathetic way. And like I've made the point many times before, there's a lot of individuals or systems out there that are billing themselves as um, the, you know, the, the opposite or the, you know, like what you should be going for as opposed to allopathy, but they all are in one way or another still allopathic. Like functional medicine is a pretty easy way of seeing it. That's just zog light. You know, that's what that really is. Can someone maybe get a little bit more of what they need from that than the allopathic modality? Sure. But at the end of the day, they're still going about things utilizing the same paradigm. One of the goals of this broadcast is to break the paradigm or the consciousness paradigms that we've, you know, it basically inherited or had foisted over us like a miasmic Talmudic cloak that it is. So a little bit about uh, key stagnation, how this, how this works. And remember that everything is connected when it comes to the body, everything is connected. Just like it, just like when you're seeing, you know, all the heads of the Hydra, you know, all the tentacles of the octopus and the Skeksis system, shitstem, everything is connected. That's why it's ludicrous when someone can see through the OEDAI thing, but can't see through transsexualism, can't see through, you know, all the, the shooting hoaxes, you know, so we really want to train ourselves to not compartmentalize, to see things from the whole scope, the panoramic scope. And that's what I like about modalities such as traditional Chinese medicine. And someone might say, you know, why are you talking about Chinese or Asian medicine on a predominantly, you know, Eurocentric or white show? Well, these modalities can help anybody. That's number one. And number two is that just like India, China and Japan have a history of the Aryan peoples, especially with China, there has been mummies that were dug up that had Aryan bone structure and Aryan hair, especially red hair. So our people have been all over the world, which is magnificent and fabulous and fantastic. What a, what a great thing it feels to be a person whose ancestors were part of that, 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 you know, idea of going everywhere, broadening their horizons. It's fantastic. But oftentimes in these modern day worlds, we have issues that we run into, like, let's say liver key stagnation, right? But many of us can learn how to twist that around and fix it. And of course, the earlier you're able to assess yourself from this holistic way, the easier it's going to be. That's, that's of course, you know, I think an honest thing to say, not to say that if you're a bit older, you're, you know, you're quote fucked or screwed because you are at this point now and you're like, oh, I've done so many things. I, you know, I've beat myself up. Even saying that is, is negative because when you think about how we put our, our thoughts out there through what we say, when we phrase stuff like that, it creates this idea of like, yeah, okay, that's it. You know, as opposed to saying good things about yourself. It's so weird that we live in this culture, culture, where if someone is talking themselves up, they have to say stuff like, I don't mean to brag, you know, or like they feel bad almost speaking well of themselves. That's a mind's ear, right? But it's okay for people to speak ill of themselves and they can get other people to you know, commiserate with that misery and they'll speak ill of themselves or they'll speak ill of somebody else together, right? And all of this can actually lead to liver key stagnation. Many of the modern habits, I mean, the whole Oyedei culture is liver key stagnation, obviously. So let's talk about this and how it, how it looks and what we can do 
to mitigate this, right? And the problems that it causes, because oftentimes we're told something like depression or anxiety. Let's take depression because that's more uh, apropos in regards to the topic of, of stagnation. We're told it's a quote, chemical imbalance. We're told it's because of unresolved trauma. Like we're told all of these things and maybe certain things, I don't believe in the chemical balance theory personally, that's pretty allopathetic, but certain things like traumas and stuff can cause depression. They can cause stagnation and depression. That's essentially what happens. But if all of those things caused all of those things and every person who had ever experienced any adverse experience would be dealing with depression ongoing. So it's really about how we deal with it and what we implement to do that healing modality. Like there are plenty of people who have had a lot of unsavory things happen to them, but they're not depressed. And you say, well, how is that? How is that possible, right? And there's people who have had maybe mild or moderate or maybe even more intense things happen and they just, they stay locked into this thing. And that's part of this liver key stagnation. And of course, this is a good topic to talk about, like we had talked about on a couple of the shows, you know, blood stasis, blood stagnation, which really kind of more starts in the liver from a TCM perspective. This is a very good topic when we're talking about TCM from a diagnostic perspective, as much as I dislike that word, because I think of allopathetic stuff when I think of, you know, diagnosis. But the stagnation theme is one that I think everyone can possibly relate to. So that's why I've been picking these themes or ailments that I think we can all say, aha, and, and relate to it in certain ways. So let's talk about stagnation and how it relates to the liver and how we can take back our key prana or viral. Stagnation, the state of not flowing or moving, lack of activity, growth or development. Makes sense, right? So things are not flowing. There's no flow. We always talk about not just here, but other shows, like how important is flow, right? Getting into that meditative flow. And we live in a world where it really seeks to inhibit our flow. So again, stagnation, not flowing or moving, lack of activity, growth or development. Nothing good ever comes from stagnation, stagnant water, stagnant key, stagnant life, stagnant belief systems. As the definition states, things are stuck, not moving or flowing or growing. No matter the location of the blockage, there is always a cause. When you know the cause, you can find the cure, right? And it's, I really like how TCM, I feel for me, at least with the studies I've done, it lines up so beautifully with something like Germanic New Medicine, where we can see really the entire pathway. And of course, TCM and GNM talk about it from a different way, but we can see how like a cascade of a pathway can occur based on an emotional thing, a conflict, what they call a DHS and GNM. Stagnation is a term often used in TCM and is one of the most common imbalances in the human body. So that's why, again, I picked it because I wanted it to be something that everyone can say, aha, I can relate to that. It occurs when the key and the blood fail to move properly and it can cause a wide spectrum of symptoms. What are some of those symptoms? Muscular pain, spasms and cramps, irritability, or inappropriate anger, abdominal pain, constipation or bloating, premenstrual syndrome, like breast tenderness and painful menses, depression or mood swings. So there's some examples right there, pretty basic examples. Probably most of us have dealt with probably at least one of those in our lives, right? There are many things that you can do to get your key and your blood moving. And yes, you can. There's many things you can do. Long, slow, deep belly breathing, like actually taking 
not like a shallow breath that we had talked about in the broadcast last week, how some people are really only using the top part of their lungs and they can see on autopsy that the lungs look either atrophied or new in the lower and middle lobes because no one is doing that anymore, especially with this OED AI costume. So deep breathing, one thing you can do to get your key and your blood moving. You could also move your body. It could be anything, walking, stretching, dance party, whatever. There's a lot of groovy ways you can move your body. Acupuncture is something else that can help with uh, distributing key and getting it moving, getting the blood moving. And when you get a diagnosis from like, let's say an acupuncturist or a TCM healer, they'll usually tell you if you have excess or deficiency and what meridians are being affected. So like, let's say someone who is very large or not even very large, you don't have to be very large. I'm just giving kind of more of a a visual example, someone who's overweight most likely is going to have more of an excess. And then someone who is like really just, you know, wiry and skeletal is going to have more of a deficient condition, but not, not always, but that's kind of more the way it goes. Like you can just tell by looking at someone, or at least I can, if they're the deficient type or the excess type. Eating mindfully, very important. Choose seasonally and weather appropriate food, obviously. Step away from the screen and stop working. Chew slowly and thoroughly and enjoy each bite. It's nice to eat outside too, if you have the opportunity to do that during your day, to take your lunch outside. That's a, that's a pretty groovy practice right there. You can get some sun whilst you do so. So when stagnation isn't another part of your life, you will likely notice symptoms. For example, if your job is stagnant, you might have writer's block. You might feel bored, unchallenged, or unable to move up in your company. If your personal life is stagnant, you may feel a pulling sensation towards a certain place you would like to move. You might discover fundamental issues in relationships. And if your belief systems are stagnant, you may feel curious about new ideas. You may feel you have outgrown ideas you were raised with, and you may start to feel very passionate about new causes. Whatever is blocked, one must pinpoint that and take action. So that's on uh, sometimes the most difficult part of the whole process is being able to figure out what is the stagnation, like what's the key thing, just like with GNM, you know, what was the DHS? What was the big shock that let led to this cascade, right? So that's the, the same thing with TCM. What is it? Like what's the underlying issue? So for some people, it could be their job, it could be their relationship, it could be a lot of things. But if we're not stagnating, I mean, if we are stagnating, then we're not growing. And if we're you know, degenerating, then we're not regenerating kind of on the same vein of what we were talking about on some prior shows. So the stagnation is essentially like a stop. It's like a, a freeze. They talk about like fight or flight, and then you have like a freeze. It's like almost being stuck in a freeze. So in a way, if people are traumatized and haven't gotten to the root of whatever that trauma is, they can be stuck in this stagnation pattern, which of course GNM would say is healing. And yes, that is true, but the healing should be something that you go through and you're like, okay, I'm good. Like cut my finger, wrap it up. All good. A couple of days, no problem. Right. But the way it is now is that people get stuck in these things called a hanging healing and they're stuck in this forever or very long-term stagnation or whatever it may be. We're talking about stagnation today, but this should be a state that if you do get into it, you're aware of it. And you find your way out of it as opposed to it essentially becoming your life or your lifestyle or more like a death style, if anything. So a bit there, a little bit of an introduction about how this works with stagnation and uh, just kind of setting the scene for the broadcast right now. 
So a bit more about how this all works, because I think it's a very important topic. And I really like talking about health from this like radical perspective, as opposed to this kind of like, you know, more allopathetic one that still uses a modality that I just, it never really resonated with me on a, on a personal level. There've been times when I've been drawn to it for, for many different reasons, but it always felt like it was missing something. It's almost like when you're in relationship with someone and you're like, something is missing. I just don't know what it is. Like that's kind of how I've always felt with, with allopathy. And yes, something is missing common sense, right? I mean, a, a belief system that is founded on the a faulty belief that germs cause dis-ease, yes, of course, something is missing. And especially now when medicine is being taken over by the TS agenda, which of course is not like, you know, medicine is like, oh, help, I'm being taken over by the LGBTQ plus. No, they they want it. Like they want it. So, so what are some ways that one can restore and balance their chi or chi? There's many ways, of course. And you know, Ki or chi means life and life energy stands for the energy of all things. This is like the most important energy is this, this key, this life energy. Your ki, prana or vril, provides the energy for important bodily functions like your digestion, metabolism, and overall strength. It also represents all other physical aspects of energy like sunlight, plants, animals, and electricity. So not just we have key as humans, everything has key. That's why when you go outside and you get sun or you go for a walk, you feel vitalized. Other things are also powered by key, like your thoughts and your emotions. That's pretty interesting to think about, especially when we live in this kind of a hyper reactive, um, very emotive kind of culture where people are just like, oh my God, that offended me. Right. And all of a sudden, like we were supposed to be like, like it's our problem, that's that person's reaction to things based on their key or more likely lack thereof. Everything in the entire universe is made up of key, the invisible source of energy. And of course, this is what the Skeksis harvest, the Skeksis harvest key. Remember the dark crystal? I mean, they were, they were calling it essence and that would be called Jing in the TCM modality. And I guess you could say they're harvesting that too. They're harvesting, they're harvesting it all, but we'll keep to the idea that they're harvesting energy, whether you want to call it Qi or Jing or Shen, they're harvesting that battery pack inside of us and, you know, other, other beings, other forms. Flowers contain the most Qi, actually. According to the ancient Eastern philosophies, when a plant flowers, it is believed that, that, that it's at the peak of its life and the flowers are the fruit of the highest level energy Qi. When we take this flower, key can be helped to heal us too. That's pretty awesome. So what are some causes of key deficiency? There are a few different ways that key can become deficient and need some restoration. Key decreases over time as we age, but it can be caused by using too much key in your day to day. So kind of, you know, burning the candle at both ends, if you will. In today's world, a lot of people experience key imbalance. This is partly due to the fact that a society where we're busier and more stressed than ever and dealing with life stressors can drain our key pretty quickly. So you can imagine that anti-social media drains key, pornography drains key, you know, a lot of the things that we didn't have many years ago, we have all these things that are constantly draining our key. Being in a news loop, taking in any information that's intense or too much, even if it's not coming from anti-social media, can still drain key. 
So what are some patterns of having key key that's deficient, essentially, like low energy or even key stagnation? Fatigue, insomnia, poor digestion, cold feet and fingers, frequent urination, shortness of breath, little to no appetite, weak, quote, immune system, and loose stool. Whilst key deficiency is common in our busy culture, it is impossible to have too much key. Certain emotions like anger can stagnate key in the body. Stagnant key could cause pain that can be relaxed through acupressure or acupuncture. Environmental toxins like polluted water or air, as well as general overexertion, overeating, and overworking. If you have too much key in your body, you might feel irritable, stressed, or tense. And that will be because it would be stagnant in that way. So it's like, it's almost like a pressure cooker type of feeling where you have key, but it's stagnant, right? As opposed to like deficiency where it's just low, the stagnant it's there, but it's like, you can't get it out. It's like a jar where you can't get the lid off. So how does one restore and balance their key? There's a couple of ways to do that. We were just talking earlier about some of the breathing and groovy stuff like that. So there's foods that one can eat. Um, there's different foods for different people, of course, would work depending on what other, you know, diagnosis you were getting through TC. I mean, you don't necessarily have to see a, you know, a professional for doing this. I mean, you can. That's a good way of, you know, getting your pulse and your tongue red and taking other type of stuff if you want to go down that road. Or you can find out yourself. You can self-diagnose yourself. So the philosophy uh, in regards to key is that we're talking about flowers having the most amount of peak and chi in their life or key. In fact, flowers are the fruit of the highest energy level. So they're saying actually having tea made with flowers is an excellent way to heal one's key. Even something like rose petals, which is pretty available, could be a way to do that. Getting good sleep obviously can help restore your key. That's a really important part of anyone's lifestyle is making sure that you can get sleep. And it's often said that we need to have a certain amount of energy to be able to get to sleep. It's almost like having that restful energy. So if someone is really, really stressed, that's probably, and can't get to sleep, that's probably a key stagnation issue, I would say. Kijong is one uh, type of exercise or Tai Chi that someone can be utilizing because this helps with life energy cultivation utilizing body posture and movement, breathing, meditation, etc. So this is something else that can help in regards to building up key or kind of getting rid of stagnant key because Kijong is harmonizing, strengthening and healing for one's body. Herbal teas, like we had just said, like uh, flower teas and things like that have healing benefits and they're also great for uh, relaxation especially stuff like blue lotus, which I think I've talked before on the broadcast. You can also mix that with, with wine and that actually can give you a nice, a nice groovy thing too. Of course, it will slightly change the taste of the wine. If someone was dealing with a lot of issues, they may just want to lay low on the alcohol because that can cause, that can cause liver uh, stuff for, you know, if someone's hitting it pretty hard. Uh, meditation, of course, restoring key with meditation. So of course, eating well and exercising, that's pretty basic stuff, but meditation is a great way to reduce negative emotions and increase positive ones, practicing kindness, things of that nature. 
And um, anything that is red and associated with the heart will help induce feelings of joy and love. So tomatoes, watermelon, apples, things like that, rose, that can all help. Remember, there's a lot to food. It's not just, you know, calories in, calories out. It's also the energetics of it. Spending time outside in nature, what the Japanese call forest bathing. It's a lot of, lot of stuff that you can do to kind of balance key, but sometimes it takes a bit more than this, or sometimes it takes looking at the deleterious habits that one has in addition to the habits that are good and finding out a way to clear those habits. And sometimes people have those habits because they're maybe they're holding on to something that they're not necessarily ready to let go. So as mind seeing as this may sound, someone may have a habit that is deleterious and they know it's deleterious on some level, maybe subconsciously, but they keep it because they're not ready to break out of this level or state of stagnation because that would require a different way to feel and you know a new feel a new sound a new look everything new and they're too afraid to do that so they'd rather stay in this stagnant state of misery than induce change even though the change would lead to feeling better a bit mind seeing but i understand how these things work oftentimes it's it's a shell that we've built around us albeit uncomfortable it still has the comfortable uncomfort if that makes sense Clearing negative thoughts can restore key. That's important, especially since we come in contact with so many vile things throughout the day. Um, you know, I mean, of course, you could avoid avoid as much as you can. I mean, I, I typically avoid most of it, or especially try to avoid it in in the morning times because that can be you know the time when you're just kind of you know, awakening and stuff like that. But emotions like anger, frustration, and resentment can cause key stagnation in your liver. The liver is associated with the emotion of anger. Every emotion has a, an organ that is um, corresponding for it. So like the lungs would be grief, things like that. So if you're feeling these foul emotions of anger, frustration, resentment, and they're not like foul, like something's wrong with you for, for feeling them. I'm using the word foul to describe something that's, that's negative that we kind of want to, you know, eschew. But if you're feeling them on a daily basis, it, it might be, it might feel hard to get rid of them. That's why you might feel more comfortable in the uncomfort. And even if you're doing the other things we've talked about thus far, you may need a bit more to kind of really get to the root. You could do gratitude meditations to reduce negative thoughts. You can um, write a letter to someone who you're particularly um, angry with, things like that. Not give the not give the letter to them, and you can burn it if you want or throw it away, something like that. It's kind of more symbolic. This is a really good one too. Paying attention, paying close attention to your negative thoughts actually is something that. I think I've most likely seen highlighted through Germanic new medicine, but I think it's a really important thing. And it's so easy to forget how we felt or how someone close to us has felt. But if we're able to recognize patterns in ourself and the humans that are closest to us, it really helps us gauge a lot. And for ladies, for cycling ladies, if you keep track of your cycle, which I'd recommend every lady um, be doing that, I don't, do the applications for many reasons. I just do old school paper charting, but you have the chance to like write little notes in it and say, you know, today I didn't poop and I, I felt crappy or, you know, today I got in a fight with my spouse and I was, I was pissed off and my stomach hurt at lunch. So you, you, you see a pattern over time of these things, whatever it may be. I ate too much. Uh, I went for a second helping for dessert, you know, whatever it may be. It could be anything that you've done that you know, created like kind of an imbalance in your system, you can see the pattern, especially with ladies, 
you may see the pattern like saying, oh, I did this around this time of my cycle. I did this around this time. So you know, upcoming, you can kind of interpret your patterns. And I really think it's better to do it on the paper charting because all those computer things do, or on your application, your phone, you're giving your information away about your body to big Z essentially. And all they're doing is trying to guess what's going on in your body, right? And then you're also giving them, like I said, all the information away about your cycle. Many women are plugging in information in there about other stuff, right? About sex. Like, wouldn't it behoove the Skexis to know how often people, or women, excuse me, not people, were having sex, were thinking about certain things, you know, when they were bleeding? Like, wouldn't that be information that, you know, Big Z would want to have? So doing stuff the more the quote old fashioned way i don't think ever gets tired i mean i don't i don't bore of it i love when i go to a restaurant and i say to myself this restaurant will never be a place that has that fucking qr code thing where they want you to scan that thing and look at a menu the size of a credit card like a lot of these newfangled things are actually causing key stagnation. Like if I walk into a restaurant and they want me to look at something like that big and I don't have a problem seeing it, it's not like that. I just want to look at a normal menu that can cause key stagnation, having to you know read a small menu on your phone. So back what I was saying, pay close attention to your thoughts as well as the people around you, their thoughts and write down. You can even write down negative thoughts that you have. Like imagine you kept a list of all the negative thoughts you had in a day you'd probably be zoggled to see, oh my God, I had that many like foul thoughts in the day. So it's definitely something to be aware of these, these patterns in yourself and for others, especially yourself. Cause at the end, that's, that's all you have is yourself, right? So if you're telling yourself things like you're not good enough or good looking enough or smart enough, you could be hurting yourself and your key. We seriously love each and every one. This, uh, we seriously love if you seriously love yourself and everyone else and know that you are enough, but a lot of people struggle with negative self-talk, try surrounding yourself with positive affirmations and positive humans. Healing and self-love is a journey. Don't be too hard on yourself if cultivating a balanced key takes time. Every step to a restored key is a step closer to your true healed self. And yes, it definitely is. And there's so many ways to go about this. We can see it's more than just food. Food's groovy. Food's important, but it's definitely more than just food. So I think that's that little tip of seeing your own patterns of negative thoughts or maybe indulgences that lead to negative thoughts, maybe going someplace or doing something that you didn't want to do and you committed to it anyway, and then you felt foul afterwards or that you drank too much because you were bored and then that could affect your key, right? So we have to really guard our key. Let's take a Gandhi at the chat. We've got some people here. We've got Epiphany. We've got Naturalixane. We've got Josh and we've got uh, Nicholas joining us. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Josh is saying, greetings, fellow human beings. Yes, indeed. Josh is saying, so the so-called Western world is void of much of the esoteric. So one has to look to the East. Yeah, it is. It is. And yes, I see Epiphany's here. Yeah, I'm sorry, Epiphany, that I forgot to um, to email you for the show today. I just totally, totally lapsed on that. But you're here and I'm glad that you're here. She never got the pop-up fiddlesticks. That stinks. I wonder why that's happening. 
They tried the QR code menus here, Epiphany is saying. They went back to real menus, mostly a retirement town. I could see the retirement um, community or those people like having no patience for something like that in the least. But here in New York, where it's trendy, it's it's a it's a lot of places. And oftentimes I'll just say, can I have a paper menu? And it's, you know, keep in mind it's not something that I'm doing on a you know a very regular basis. But it's just it's one more thing. Just like I was I was seeing, I think it was yesterday that starting October 1, Starbucks is no longer taking cash. So everything's had to be credit card. Apple Wallet, Starbucks Rewards, so they're no longer taking cash. So this QR code thing to me is just more of this cashless society nonsense stuff, right? That's how I kind of see it. It's uh, ridiculous. A lot of things that are happening are very ridiculous, but we have to find out ways to, you know, take back our key to, you know, to guard that and all that. So let me just talk as we're talking about key, I want to interdisperse the conversation with the analogy of a candle. I think this is actually a really great analogy that is very understandable for everyone because everyone's probably been around a candle. Maybe not recently because now we live in a, a day and age where candles is, you know, as romantic as they are, we don't necessarily use them as much as we would have many, many years ago. But I want to illustrate this candle analogy while we talk about key and also talk about Shen and, and Jing, which are other aspects of our, of our vitality, right? So let's start with Shen and keep in mind the candle as I speak. Shen, which is known as essence in the TCM. No, Shen is spirit, excuse me. Jing is essence. So Shen is your spirit. Shen is represented by the light that radiates from your burning candle. So the light of the candle is the Shen or the spirit. The purpose of the candle is to light the darkness. So your spirit lights the darkness. Your Shen is the radiance of your spirit. When Jing or essence and key energy are in abundance, Shen is released. So when you have good essence and good energy, your spirit is released. Now on to key energy. Key is represented by the flame of the candle. It can sputter and smoke or it can burn brightly and evenly. Your key is your vitality or daily energy. It provides the source of light. However, it eventually consumes the candle. When your key is used efficiently, your jing or essence lasts longer. Qi is easily depleted through daily activity. And when a person is healthy, it is easily replenished with sleep, nourishment, and breathing. So the problem, of course, comes when the person is not in a state of health, dealing with stress that becomes chronic stress, and they have this state of stagnation when even sleeping, eating, and breathing, and other types of nourishment don't actually balance their key. And of course, as one typically gets you know along in their years, it's more of a chance that's going to happen than to someone who's a youth. But the youth are not immune to it because, especially nowadays, a lot of the youth are you know in, in ill health. So this could affect anybody essentially at any time. Jing or essence. Jing is represented by the wax and the wick of the candle. The quality of the wax and the reserve of the wax available for burning determines the life of the candle. Your Jing, which is determined by your genetic inheritance and your deep energy reserves, determines your longevity. It takes a long time to deplete Jing and is extremely hard to replenish. And when we're talking about genetic inheritance, I don't believe in the idea of genetic dis-ease, obviously. I think that's just a hoax to get people to 
remove body parts and take medicine. It's like a trick that Big Z is playing on everybody. It's a trick a lot of people fall for, unfortunately. But when they say the genetic inheritance of the Jing or the essence, that I do believe because we do inherit, you know, that 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 essence or that all of it, you know, the Shen, the Qi, Jing, we, we inherit that from our parents through the kidneys. So that I agree with. So if like, let's say a baby is gestating and the mom and the mom is already at a point in her life where her Jing is not great, right? And that baby's gonna, you know, have those consequences. Like when a baby is gestating inside of a mom that's got a thyroid issue, right? Or anything, like it all, it all comes into play. And of course, it's not just the woman, it's the man too, because half of the man's material is what makes the child. So it's, it's a blending of both. Just, I think it may be slightly a bit more on the mom because the mom is the one that's actually housing the baby, feeding it, birthing it, you know, feeding it after birth from her body typically. So that's how that, that works. But we do oftentimes have this constitutional inheritance that we get via Jing, just like to further expand on this conversation, we have a constitution that we've acquired based on the life we live, you know, the foods we eat, the schedule we keep, all of those things. That's that's your constitution right now that you have, but we also have the constitution that we were born with. So that's kind of along the lines of the whole Jing and genetic inheritance thing. And they even say in some of these these Eastern belief systems that depending on when in the year you were born, you're going to have the more young or more yin or yin energy and children or you know people or humans who are born close or around november they're going to have the most yin or expansive or yin constitution and then youngsters who are born around may because may is the opposite of november they're going to have a more young more robust constitution and i've seen this time and time again with all different types of people it doesn't matter what age they are what sex they are what race they are you can always tell, or at least I can always tell the people who are born more towards May, they always have kind of like this hardiness to them. And the ones that are born more towards November, typically not as much. Not to say that you won't see patterns that maybe don't always work that way, but it's it's visible. And it's something that we have and we can't necessarily change that, but we can find ways to change our, you know, our current constitution and how that works with, you know, taking back our key. I hope that makes sense for everyone how that works. It's very different learning about a lot of this stuff as opposed to the allopathetic system, which is uh, really nothing to write home about and really doesn't do anyone any any favors at all. It's pretty much hmm, kind of sludgy, right? I mean, there are certain things that can be of help, you know, more of the emergency uh, milieu and things of that nature. But the thing that I really object in regards to that system is that it really doesn't feel like it's an Aryan way of thinking about things. It just seems like it's like Skeksis fear-mongering, if you will. So a little bit there about the candle analogies and how that all works together. And just remembering these things, right? Because oftentimes we're told like, you know, in the kind of the quick fix pill culture, like, ah, you know, party hard, YOLO, you could just take this pill and you know, everything's going to be okay after you take the pill. And that's not necessarily true. Actually, it's not necessarily true. It's, it's not true. We have to really kind of um, guard what we have. We have to guard our, our essence, essentially, especially in a day and age when there's Skeksis out there trying to fleece the essence. So a bit more about this topic of liver stagnation, because I think it's really important. I think, especially since Oyed AI, that itself being a, a key stagnation or a liver stagnation issue, everyone at home, 
quote quarantine. I, I don't really like that word. Uh, drinking a lot of alcohol. I remember the the New York Times telling people at the beginning of Oyed AI, have a martini in the shower in the morning. Why not? It's quarantine. No, not a good idea. Not even a good idea when you're on vacation. I mean, you know, on vacation sometimes people do stuff a little little different. They let their hair down, but that's that is bad. I'm just wondering, thinking about the whole topic of key stagnation and, and the liver. I wonder how many people like became habituated to alcohol based on Oyed AI, you know, pretty crazy. So here's a bit more on the same vein of um, detoxification of the system from the uh, traditional Chinese modalities. And back to what Josh was saying about how we have to look to the East because the West has been so, you know, just inverted. That's, that's very much true. And then of course, in many of these circles, you'll run the risk or whatever you want to call it of, you know, being called, you know, anti-white or whatever. I mean, I've already dealt with a lot of this at this point. It doesn't really even matter because I know when people lash out like that, they're only lashing out um, because they're in a place of ignorance. But we will find more of our roots and things that really inspire and vitalize us if we oftentimes do look to the East. So that's why I've always tended to focus on that because I really want to get to the root and find out like the hidden knowledge that's been usurped from not just us, but, you know, many generations before we were, we were born. So here's a bit about um, how we can revitalize ourselves. And this article that I'm reading from is kind of written for the spring because in TCM, there's different seasons that have to go along with different things. So the spring is actually the season of the liver gallbladder. So that's a time when you want to like, you know, do spring cleansing, but it's still appropriate to talk about it as a theme, even though the spring is typically the time when we would work on that. So having some green uh, vegetation that's either well cooked in saturated lipids or monounsaturated lipids like duck fat or something like a um, vegetable juice, that could be a good way to get greens into your system. I don't really recommend taking in uh, tons of salads because that could actually be harder to digest. So if we really want to make sure if we're going to get the juice raw, because we're not going to have all that fiber, which could ferment, especially, and then we'll deal with, you know, bloating and stuff like that. Remember, we're not, um, we don't ferment stuff in our digestive tracts like ruminants do. If we were, we'd be, you know, vomiting out our food a few times a day and rechewing that. And I don't think anyone listening is, is up for that. Plus, we don't even have the, the system to do that. So it makes no sense. So that's why something like a vegetable juice would be more sensible and, you know, just green vegetables and stuff like that. And I wouldn't hit it too hard with all those uh, green juices and just go super, super hard. This is about taking more of a balanced approach. It's another thing that I oftentimes think is a gripe of mine in regards to the Western way of looking at stuff, which is really just Talmudic. I don't, I don't use that word in that context to insult anyone. Certainly not. But we always have this idea of more is better. So, you know, a gallon of green juice, you know, a cup of seaweed, like it doesn't have to be like that, right? You know, eating a whole pint of cream, like it doesn't, it's more is not necessarily better is the, the point I'm trying to make. So foods like that, that are fresh can be very, um, just a good way to clean the liver. It's kind of the opposite of any of like this greasy, sugary, sludgy stuff, which of course can cause stagnation. Um, things that have a slightly tart taste can actually be stimulating to the liver, like lemons, right? Or citrus. I'm not a, a big vinegar person because I think that 
vinegar because the acid is not really so good for the teeth and things like that. So I'm not really a big vinegar person. I typically will just use it if I'm making chicken stock, just like a drop to pull the minerals out of the bones. Remember, you add a drop of vinegar to chicken stock to pull the minerals out of the bones. So what do you think it does if you're drinking that, right? I saw some ridiculous shit talk uh, trend that some of the, I guess maybe the Zoomer youth are doing where they're making this quote healthy, quote healthy, more like triple parentheses, Coca-Cola, where they're mixing, I think, mineral water with balsamic vinegar and they're drinking it. So not a good idea. You're better off doing uh, things like lemon, you know, lemon slices and water, you know, using lemon as a dressing for fish. You get the idea. It's, it's not, it's not too hard, but yeah, definitely the whole vinegar trend is I think pretty, uh, pretty dangerous. Uh, some people have actually dealt with, I think like a pickling of the liver because they're taking in too much of the ACV. And I'm, I'm a bit leery of, of too much emphasis on fermented food too. I think that could also be problematic for the, the liver to take in too many ferments, whether they're of animal or vegetable origins. So things like that, um, just, you know, taking in some greens and, you know, obviously this is like one part of it. I don't have to go crazy with it, right? It's just, it's just about cultivating that balance. Uh, getting some exercise. We also talked about that earlier, just exercise movement, movement breaks up stagnation. Like think about when like you're on a plane and you're sitting for like hours and maybe you only get up to like use the bathroom once and you feel kind of stagnant when you get up, like when you're ready to leave the plane, that's essentially why something like dancing or moving would help, you know, flush out stagnant energy and make you feel good. Put some spring in your step, right? Moving and stretching can also really help your liver. So that's really good too, to make sure you move and stretch or even certain yoga exercises you can do poses and things like that more in Kundalini, but also in more traditional yogas like the Hatha, where you can actually stimulate your liver and actually break up key stagnation and encourage liver healing whilst you're doing the poses. So it's not just about, you know, eating lemons and not being angry. It's also things like that. So getting the blood flow going, it could be other types of exercise too, besides yoga, it can be swimming, things like that it can also help. We talked about this, but I'll mention it again. Um, emotions, like emotions that are, you know, grudges, hard feelings, bad emotions, all this type of stuff. Letting go of resentment and making space for new, that can really help with, with the liver. Forgiving yourself. If you're not ready to forgive anybody else, that's okay. How about forgiving yourself, the most important person in your life, right? Doesn't that make sense over anything else? Allowing for the new to enter your life clean out and give away things that don't serve you any longer. Just doing cleaning, getting rid of old clothes, um, things that are just, you know, rips, holes, chips. They even say from like a feng shui perspective, and that's the, the Asian art of, you know, arranging the room in a certain way, or even how you dress can be a part of feng shui. But they say, if you're wearing clothing with like rips and stains, and I know oftentimes you know, ripped clothing has been what trendy since like the sixties wearing like, you know, ripped jeans and stuff like that. They would say in TCM or in feng shui rather that you're attracting poverty by actually wearing ripped clothing. So maybe, maybe that's true. I don't know. I mean, I used to wear very ripped jeans back in the day. They were so ripped. They, they almost didn't even look like jeans. I'm sure a lot of people out there have probably gone through one of those phases, but when you clean out, the point is when you clean out old stuff, you don't need anymore 
then you allow new things to enter your life, right? But if you're feeling so stagnant, sometimes it's actually even hard to get to the point of wanting to clean stuff. So they also say in TCM and in feng shui, if you're feeling the motivation to get rid of stuff, go through things, organize, that means that your liver is you know, healthy enough or kind of breaking free from the stagnation to feel good enough to do something like that, right? So many things one can do to make themselves feel good. Massage, of course, is an, an amazing way of getting rid of, you know, stress and frustration and things like that. And something that I didn't mention here, but I'll mention it because I mentioned it on a lot of shows, things like lovemaking or even a sacred solo sexual practice could help uh, mitigate the stagnation and kind of just, you know, take the edge off. And I don't mean, of course, looking at pornography, because I think actually looking at pornography could increase liver key stagnation. So it's really about getting into your body and feeling yourself and, you know, getting past these stressors and these frustrations and these irritabilities, anger and pain, but tuning into yourself, not, you know, watching someone else naked, which essentially is, you know, I guess it's being a cuck if you really want to, you know, be honest about it. Um, especially for guys, it's essentially what it is. It's kind of creepy. But yeah, a lot of ways to kind of break up that stagnation. But if you're feeling so stagnant, sometimes it's hard to take that first step in the process of changing things, right? So that's why when you start by eating stuff, maybe you're not motivated to do any of the exercises right now, maybe you can't afford to go to acupuncture or take herbs, whatever it is, you can still start with the food stuff and break up some of the stagnation that way, or maybe stop taking in negative things. So do what you can if you're not motivated to like, let's say, do exercise or do other stuff. You could always start with the smaller things. And then when you're starting to feel less stagnant, then you might say, ah, now I'm going to want to do this, right? So it can work. It can work in many ways. So I think we'll take our small little break right now. We're almost at the hour mark and we'll be back in a little bit. You are listening to Taking Back Our Key on White Wellness Radio. I am your host, Tabitha, and we're going to hear a song and then we'll be right back after this song. I'm 
back that was white zombie with thunder kiss 65 also in 1992 and i'm your host tabitha you are listening to taking back our key on white wellness radio so before the break we were talking about key stagnation how to heal the liver with certain habits and modalities as well as talking about a candle analogy to illustrate the three um, things in chinese medicine the shen the jing and the key So now we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, I think it's a really important topic, especially since so much out there can really put us into a foul mood and make us stagnate more. And something that's interesting about this is that oftentimes when we're already in this stagnant stead, we actually will crave habits or um, foods that will actually stagnate us even more, which is kind of a zoggler, mine zoggler right there. But that's because sometimes some of these habits or food give us like a bit of like a boost or a lift only to come down further afterwards again, right? It's kind of like this this vicious cycle that that happens. So we'll talk a little bit more about, about that. But yeah, it's just there's a lot of reasons why it may be hard to break out of this stagnant thing. You know, many things out there, the entire Zog culture promotes stagnation. Of course, they promote any deleterious emotion, right? I just say it's wrong to feel this way. It's it's not wrong. It's just what is sometimes based on things that happen. And regards to a question that uh, I see that Benson Shrimp is in the in the listener uh, box right here listening live. Hello. You had asked a question about a, a filter for the kitchen, a sink filter. I'm assuming you're meaning like on top of the sink, not under the sink. 
I'll answer here just in case anyone else is listening to the broadcast and wants to know for a sink filter for the kitchen sink, just, you know, for filling up water bottles and, you know, for cooking and things like that, you can get a filter that fits over the faucet. I would recommend uh, the brand uh, Brita or Pure, P-U-R. Those are the two that I would look for to get something. And you can get one of those pretty, pretty affordably. And you just have to remember to change the filter every now and again, because if you don't change the filter, you're just going to have this like little thing on top of your, on top of your faucet, but the water's not going to necessarily be as good as it could be if you don't change the filter regularly, but you might actually even be able to tell by the smell that comes out. And of course, depending on where we live in the world, sometimes the water is more toxic or more treated. Like I know people who live in parts of America where they have quote hard water. We don't have that here in the Northeast, but some parts of the country have hard water. That would be water that has more minerals in it, right? Some of those minerals might not be to our liking, like having, you know, too much iron and and stuff like that. So yeah, for a filter that just goes over the sink, something simple like that, you can get one that's about under $50 and it's very simple to install. Um, and just remember to change the filter. That's pretty much, pretty much it. And if you wanted to, you could always go another step further and get one of those pitchers that people put their water in. You can do that too. That's something else. And also a very low tech way of doing things that's been used for ancient times. I think it's Japanese. You can buy these charcoal sticks. I think they're called Japanese charcoal sticks and charcoal is, is very detoxifying. It can also pick up, you know, certain things that are in water that we wouldn't necessarily want to uh, be ingesting. A bean shotan. So it's B-I-N-C-H-O-T-A-N, bean shotan. You can buy these sticks that almost looks like it's a piece of wood that's been lit on fire until it looks like black ash. You could actually procure these on, on Amazon Primate, a couple of other places. So if you didn't want to get the sink filter that we just talked about, you could get something like this. And these sticks will um, filter up to two liters of water and they are reusable. So it says you can reactivate the charcoal every two weeks by boiling for 10 minutes and letting dry. Excellent natural prop properties of um, the charcoal reduce the odor and hardness of water and filter for better drinking water. Filtering time is three to four hours. So what you do is you, I guess you fill up your vessel with water. I'd recommend a, a glass vessel if possible. And then you put the charcoal stick in there and then three or four hours later, the water has been filtered. And this word, uh, binshotan, Japanese oak, that's what that word means in Japanese. It's a highest grade of charcoal. They come from the Kinshu region of Japan. So that's something else low tech. This is about $22 on Amazon Primate for three of these sticks. So something else to think about if you didn't want to go the route of getting the thing that goes on top of the the kitchen sink, you could just do something like this. And I, I've used both of these in my experience throughout the years of, of water filtration, I've done the over the, the sink filter, like I just mentioned, I've done the charcoal, I've done many of things, but this is just two of the most simple things that someone could do, especially if they're just looking to invest in something at, I guess at that, that price point, there'd be other things that would be you know more expensive and possibly would involve someone installing it, or if someone was handy, they could do it themselves. That would be like a whole house filter or an under the sink filter, but just keeping it very basic right now. 
I would recommend the Brita or the Pure if it's going to be the device that goes on top of the sink faucet or one of these uh, bean shotan charcoal stick packages. So that would I would to answer that question. That's what I would um, that's what I would say for that. And of course, you got to remember to take a time to to boil these and dry these. There's a little bit of a different. Or you could use both. You could try using both. I mean, people are saying in the comments right here that this effectively removes chlorine. So I don't really know, depending on where you live, what the main problem is. Like I know around where I am, if I go out to eat and they give me water, I can tell immediately that it's like chlorine rich. So that's something that we definitely don't want to be having into our systems, among many other things, you know, fluoride. There's, there's so many things in the water. And what the easiest way to you know, get something into somebody that was deleterious would, would be through the water, right? I mean, think about the old idea of, you know, who was poisoning the well, right? Remember the whole idea of the, of the Black Plague and thinking that it was literally some plague when I think it came down to mercury poisoning from coal being burnt and also well poisoning. Well, there's well poisoning is still alive and well, if you will. So something like this uh, bean shotan charcoal stick or just the over the sink filters or, or yeah, filters like the Brita or the Pure would be something that I would I would recommend. I hope that answers your question. OK, back to the chat. OK, here we are. So we're still talking about um, taking back our key, prana, vril, whatever word you want to use. So we're going to go on with that conversation a bit more. And now I'm going to talk about some some foods and some really practical ways that we can get our liver in good health. And remember the word liver, if you take that R, it means live, right? So there's something about being alive within our liver. And I guess when someone is chronically addled with you know, anger and terrible thoughts and all of that, that really can take the life or the live out of somebody, right? And when someone's liver is on the fritz and not really performing at, at, at top way, it's very hard to have that inner strength, that inner strength that's, you know, many people talk about on a spiritual path, you know, whether it be racial or not, but we'll talk about it here in more of that context. If there is no inner strength, then how can one truly be living? Wouldn't they be somewhat asleep, right? So part of really keeping the liver clean, this is to say that you're never going to be able to have a drink in your life or something like that. It's, 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 I'm not an extremist in, in either which way I try to promote and live in balance. I don't promote, you know, teetotaling. I don't promote excess. So it's about having that balance where you don't feel like you're being taken over by, you know, emotions or, or food or things like that, but also cultivating that inner strength, because if the inner strength isn't there, then you're not really thriving. You're just kind of like, alive but not living and then you're probably asleep on some level too because when people are stagnating there's a stuck quality and if there's a stuck quality there's got to be some type of lack of awakening or awareness if that makes sense so a wee bit more about liver key stagnation and how this can relate to diet so i'm going to start out by giving an idea of two people a man and a woman so you get the idea of who and how it, it stagnates certain people. So here are just two people with fictional names. Amy has liver key stagnation. She arrives for her sessions of acupuncture, double latte in hand, irritated with congested traffic and lack of parking. She has menstrual migraines and mood swings and they're worsening and she wants nutrition suggestions. So that's an idea right there of a profile of someone who's running late, 
utilizing caffeine in the form of coffee, um, getting irritated from um, traffic, having problems around menstrual time, and it's worsening and the individual wants nutrition suggestions. Then there's a guy, Joe, who always want, who wants help with losing weight. He has a difficult boss and he feels angry at work, but there are a few openings in the field he is in, so he feels trapped. It's hard for him to get motivated, which is a big problem with liver key stagnation. Motivation is like low. So he's not motivated to do anything. So he spends hours at home after work playing violent video games or violent computer games rather than engaging in exercise. He's too depressed to cook or shop. So he heads to a fast food joint for burgers and fries. So as you can see, the woman is like very angry and like tense. And the guy is like has more of this defeatist kind of anti-motivated thing where he channels his energy into violent computer games, which stagnate the liver. And then he goes for a very unsavory thing for eating fast food. These are real life examples of liver key stagnation and one of the most commonly experienced patterns identified in the TCM modality. Most of us have had this pattern to some extent from time to time. Since liver key stagnation may lead to further imbalances such as liver fire rising or liver invading the spleen, it's important to be able to reduce the stagnation before it gets too far. When we recognize the pattern in ourselves, we can recognize it in others. And of course, having good nutrition and lifestyle is one of the ways that we can look to mitigate it. So a little bit about how the liver functions in the body and then how we can recognize our patterns and then ways that we can quell this. So how does the liver work in the body from a TCM modality? And this is different than, of course, the allopathic modality. When we discuss the liver in TCM, we capitalize the first letter, L, to remind us that we're talking about a functional system. So we're not just talking about the liver as an organ. We're talking about a functional system that involves the liver. The following description is not meant, is not the same as the liver when we learned anatomy and physiology class in more of an allopathic sense. That's that's different, but still important to see that, but not to use it as a main diagnostic perspective. The main function of the liver in TCM is to move the key or the energy and the blood so that all the other organs and muscles are energized and nourished. So very important. Liver likes to be motivated to accomplish goals and to move forward in life in a creative and dynamic way. So if someone's not doing those things, that's going to end their stagnant. It's going to make them feel even more stagnated because they feel like they're not making any moves in their life. Anger and frustration emerges when our forward, our way forward is thwarted. Of course, common sense. The liver is the organ system most affected by repressed emotions. Now time to recognize the pattern. Typical signs of liver key stagnation include distension in the upper abdomen. So oftentimes in more of the allopathic modality, they will tell you this is SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or small intestinal fungal overgrowth. And remember, those microbes, they don't proliferate because they hate you. They proliferate because there's a toxic situation in their janitorial beings. That's how that works. So if you have a distension of the upper abdomen, that is liver key stagnation or a sense of constriction in the chest, often sighing is an attempt to relieve pressure. This pattern also includes many emotional signs like depression, irritability, feeling wired, or mood swings. There are some digestive signs such as nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, and a churning in the stomach, as well as a sense of a lump in the throat or difficulty swallowing, a bitter taste in the mouth, constipation, or diarrhea. 
you don't have to have all of these symptoms to have this pattern. So if you have a few, you can kind of get what I'm talking about, you know, recognizing the patterns. Here's a bit about how it affects women in a different way, because of course, we women, we have a fifth vital sign, the menstrual period. So if a woman is dealing with liver key stagnation, you can read the menses to get a better idea of it. With guys, we don't have that ability. Liver key stagnation shows up in some women in the week before the menstruation begins. This is a time when the liver has a lot of work to do and move the key and blood to prepare for the menses. If the liver is not up to the job, PMS signs like painful breasts, irritability, mood swings, and cramps show up. And all those PMS signs are key aspects of stagnation. So some, some women, they have that throughout their entire cycle. Some have it for the week before the menstrual cycle. It really depends how bad the stagnation is and everyone's going to differ. And different months, of course, you can be like, oh, this month, it was different for me than this month because maybe you had a less or a more stagnating month, right? So here are some related patterns to liver key stagnation when it becomes a chronic condition, what happens then? So let's say someone didn't or wasn't able to quell this, they weren't aware of how to quell it. So what would happen after the liver key stagnation sets in for a while, for a long time? So the stuck energy accumulates and it may explode if not released. When liver key is stagnant for long periods of time, it can lead to tempers flaring. So someone who just is like a hothead and just, you know, that kind of person, this is obviously someone who's got liver key stagnation. Tempers flaring, headaches, migraines, high blood pressure. This would be a sign of liver fire rising, a pattern that shows further imbalance. Not only is this person stagnant, they have the liver fire rising if they're dealing with these ailments. Over time, stagnant key will make the blood congeal and result in a pattern called liver blood stagnation. This person may feel a stabbing pain, which is fixed in one location, such as in some kind of back pain or in all menstrual cramps. There may be clotted menstrual blood. Abdominal masses like fibroids, benign uterine tumors are also a sign of liver blood stagnation. Sometimes liver key stagnation can build up and exert too strong of an effect on the spleen or the stomach. This can cause things like nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, as well as an alternating constipation and diarrhea. The irritable bowel syndrome diagnosis fits this pattern well, and it is called liver invading the spleen and the stomach. So that would be in the allopathic system, what they call irritable bowel syndrome. It's really long-term liver key stagnation that is affecting the spleen and the stomach. So now we can also read the tongue as a way of seeing what is going on in someone's body. This is a great way. You can even do it yourself, just looking at your tongue in the mirror and getting a feel for it. Liver key stagnation may not change the color of the tongue, but if the condition has advanced to liver invading the spleen stomach or liver fire rising, a tongue will be redder on the sides. In addition, with liver fire rising, there may be a yellow coating on the body of the tongue. The tongue of a person with liver blood stagnation will have some purple on the sides or with spots of purple. Next time you have a client or a friend with these signs, look at their tongues. And yes, that's a very good way to tell. Um, and this is kind of zing, but I guess it makes sense. You know, all these adverts these days, you see them, you know, promoting all types of people who are uh, dealing with, you know, various stages of liver key stagnation, a lot of um, obesity nowadays in, in the adverts. But I recently saw an advert and they showed someone wearing a swimsuit. It was a woman and her tongue was out. Like she had her tongue out, like how some of those young people like always have their tongue out like that. And uh, her tongue was covered in this, this yellow 
coding and it, it looked like she had liver fire rising. So they're promoting, they're promoting all these ideas of ailments in the adverts. And speaking of ailments in the adverts, even the idea of like a woman having like big lips, which has been a sign in the, you know, the quote West of like hyper feminized sexuality. If you take it back in the Oriental or what they all call visual diagnosis, having very, very puffy lips would be a sign that someone was actually constipated. How sexy is that? So a lot of the times we see these things and we think they're standards of beauty or they're, they're sexually seductive and not to say that full lips aren't pretty, they are, but when they're very like puffed up and they're distended like that, which you, that's, that's what happens when someone's constipated. It's just, it's interesting how, what we think is attractive, like what is it built on? It's almost like when we think about these cultures who think that the lip plate is attractive or the neck with the rings or the foot binding. I mean, most, most of us would find that repugnant, but they may find, you know, the lip injections or the, you know, the humongous breasts, like the implants to be repugnant. So, but yeah, just an idea of like how they're promoting that in the, in the, you know, the, the media now thinking about this, the idea of promotion of, of illness, promotion of sickness, it makes me think of this Abercrombie and Fitch advert that I saw, I think it was over the weekend, I posted it on Talmudgram. And it showed an Abercrombie and Fitch catalog from the early 90s. And I remember those days, because I remember I used to get the catalog, they used to have really fun recipes in there too, I actually have still a couple of them saved. Like I remember, I remember a hummus recipe, a baked squash recipe, just really interesting stuff. And the people on the cover of the Abercrombie and Fitch quarterly back in the 90s, where it was like peak Aryan beauty, male, female, like peak Aryan beauty, like beautiful eyes, hair, you know, beautiful bone structure, just really eugenic people of our race. And now they're promoting very, very, very large models. They showed a picture of, of a model and while she was attractive, she was young and blonde. She was probably about, I don't know, 170 to 100 pounds overweight, humongous belly. And then someone even wrote, supposedly, I think in the Instagram comments is, is are you guys just like a, like a plus brand now, like just plus size. So we can really see how they promote, especially nowadays, maybe not in the 90s when things were still somewhat normative. They now really promote um, ailments. They promote bodies of people who have stagnation they're promoting mental illness for so long it would make sense that they would promote this other types of stuff and i mean i find it very very confusing to even shop when i see the clothing on somebody who doesn't really have like a figure they have like this amorphous thing you know what i mean it's 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 very hard to actually picture and think how is that going to look on my body right so just just more expanding on this topic what's why i think it's so important we see all these these things today in the media, especially where they're lauding and promoting some level of dysgenia. It doesn't have to be like the hardcore extreme dysgenia of like transsexualism or miscegenation. That's pretty intense and very obvious. It's more like low grade, you know, like, oh, just showing all these people who are very large. And I'm not saying this to, to poke fun at anyone who's very large. It's, it's not like that. Um, it's just, it's, it's not healthy. In another vein, you know, being super skinny is also not healthy. They say like in the TCM modality, if you're too large or too small, then you have some type of imbalance. So it's not healthy to be under or overweight. I mean, being overweight may be more of a risk depending on how overweight somebody is. But then again, someone could be really, really skinny and that could also be like a serious health problem. So a little bit there about that and how it all relates back to, you know, promoting 
promoting stagnation, essentially. Creepy stuff, very creepy stuff. So here is a bit right here about five dietary habits to avoid and then some things to increase in regards to liver key stagnation. So here we go. So number one would be eating a big or a rich meal is more likely to make energy feel stuck. That makes sense, right? So here is an example given of a human named Sally who suffered from irritable bowel syndrome. She was also experiencing signs of liver key stagnation, such as mood swings and PMS, as well as signs of liver invading spleen, such as digestive pain and alternating constipation and diarrhea. A key suggestion that I made for her was to eat smaller meals since the worst pain occurred when she would overeat. Filling the stomach only half full or three quarter full would be an especially appropriate suggestion. And yet eating too much can be as deleterious as not eating enough because not eating enough is very stressful, but eating too much is also in another vein, very stressful. So having smaller meals, I think that's actually a pretty good strategy. A lot of people who are into like more of the fitness diets are into the small meals. And for myself, that works better. It's not like it's a snack size meal, but it's not like a humongous feast. You know, sometimes it is nice to have a feast, especially on holidays and, you know, special celebration days, but we don't always have to eat like humongous rich meals, right? Which is more of the connotation here in the quote West, especially in the evening that we eat this humongous rich meal when we probably actually be better eating a humongous rich meal earlier in the day when our Agni or digestive fire is, is stronger, right? Number two, to avoid hard to digest foods, which may vary from individual to individual. So fried food, um, you know, Zio seed sludge, seed oils, processed food full of chemicals, um, pasteurized dairy, CAFO meat, you know, just eating too many foods out of balance. Number three, um, eating meals that are too complex can increase stagnation. So the idea of a meal with 20 or 30 ingredients, sometimes you'll go on YouTube and you'll see these vegan chefs that are trying to make a meal with like 30 or 40 ingredients. I mean, not only is that a huge undertaking from a time perspective, but it's not very healthy to eat all these complex meals. So you want to combine foods that encourage easy digestion without being too rigid that makes sense, right? And not having these like intense things. And when you eat too many of a type of food together, it actually can slow your digestion. So if you're eating too many like protein sources in one meal, like let's say a bacon cheeseburger, that's too many different types of protein. You're better off just sticking to like one or two. So in a way, when they say in the Bible to like separate those things, there actually is a certain amount of truth to that because eating too many different protein rich foods at once can actually harm the digestion, even if it's quote metabolic, even if it's quote grass fed, even if it's quote home cooked, if you ate it when you were meditating or, you know, tantric lovemaking, it's still too complex of a meal and that can increase stagnation. And I don't have, you don't have to take it to the other extreme and do the mono thing and like just eat a bowl of watermelon. I'm not suggesting that, but you have to find a balance of, you know, simple, tasty meals that aren't too rich that they're going to cause stagnation. And of course, if there's stagnation, there's going to be like a fermentation almost going on. That's why I think oftentimes if people are dealing with um, the liver key stagnation, you'll see that upper belly like poofing out because that's like stagnation of like all that, that food that just can't break down. Perhaps it's fermenting in there. And that's why those friendly microbes come around. They're like, oh, okay, we got a party. We got to munch all the, the toxicity out. Number four, 
Some people love the stimulation of the hot, spicy foods. Since liver key stagnation will often increase heat in the body and may even develop into liver fire rising, the chilies and the curries can only make the situation worse. So you have to ask yourself, if you're very intensely craving spicy food, maybe that's not the best thing for you if you're dealing with stagnation. And also keep in mind that chopping up hot chilies and putting them on food is very different than using a vinegar-based hot sauce, right? And also, if you've eaten a lot of hot sauce or chilies in your life, you know that when you pass that out through a bowel movement, you know how it can burn that delicate tissue of the anus. So maybe that's something that you want to you know, consider you know, engaging in more moderate use of. Number five, and this is very interesting. We we're talking about this at the beginning of the second um, hour when we came back from the break and how people with liver key stagnation will gravitate to things that actually boost them, but short term, but long term, the opposite. So here are some ideas. People with liver key stagnation gravitate to drink caffeine, especially coffee. On the short term, the stagnation is relieved and their moods lighten. However, later in the day, the coffee wears off and the stagnation returns with a greater effect. Similarly, a person who is drawn to the, um, to, with this pattern could be drawn to sugar treats or smoking marijuana to find relief, but the returning symptoms are worse once the temporary lift has passed. So it's a buy now, pay later situation. And I know that, you know, I guess ganja now is legal some places, maybe not. Sugar is legal coffee's legal doesn't mean it's healthy just because it's legal or because people are, are eating it. And I know they say in the metabolic diets that coffee can raise the metabolism, right? But what if it's creating a pa pattern of stagnation? That doesn't really get to the root of, of it helping us, right? And of course, some people's bodies can do better on these things in bigger doses because of their constitution. Maybe it's the constitution they're born with. Like I've met people who are just hearty. They can smoke, they can drink, do coffee, no digestive problems whatsoever, right? And then other people, like they eat one potato chip and their whole world falls apart. So it also depends a bit on your, you know, your constitution, but know that a lot of these foods that are considered sometimes healthy and then the ones that are considered unhealthy or the habits too, we have to ask ourselves, why are they promoting this, right? Or why are they not promoting this? So just something to, to consider. And, you know, what we were talking about in the beginning, like recognizing your patterns with like your emotions, recognize your patterns with your, your food and your lifestyle or your beverage choices as well. So what are some foods to increase? We talk about what we don't want to do. We don't want to eat big, rich meals. We want to eat food that's easy to digest. We want to eat simple meals, not boring, but simple. We want to chill out a little bit on um, the spicy and then chill out on the, the things that can cause, you know, this, a boost, but then also cause stagnation once the boost wears off. So foods to increase, cooling and soothing foods and also bitter and sour. So those are the flavors that we want to emphasize. So if your digestion is strong, cucumbers and celery are very helpful in regards to um, foods that you'd want to increase for key stagnation. If your digestion is in the toilet and it's poor, you want to do things like lightly steamed vegetation, soups, stewed fruits, etc. That will help relieve stagnation. But if you are dealing with low digestion, eating stuff like raw vegetation, like cucumbers and celery can be very hard, especially on a, on a regular basis. 
So no problem with just lightly steamed vegetables, having with a little bit of mono or un, or, or, or saturated fat, not un. Making soups, I would always enrich the soups with gelatin and, and chicken stock. Uh, stewed fruit is quite nice, especially with maybe like a little scoop of, of goat yogurt or something like that. So some ideas right there. Uh, spirulina, which is an algae, is um, considered to be bitter and sour, and this is good for decongesting and cleansing the liver. It's also very mineral rich. It's a good source of copper, which a lot of people are, are missing in their diet. But of course, getting way too much iron from eating, you know, too much ruminant muscle meat and eating, you know, iron filings and food. Most people actually grew up literally eating iron filings in most meals, cereal, breads, pastas, etc. So yeah, spirulina is one thing you can do uh, and pretty easy to get a good spirulina, just little tablets that are like pressed together, or you can buy the powder. That's cool too. Herbal teas like dandelion and burdock. Burdock's also really good for um, blood cleansing and bitter greens and salads. Of course, not too many salads, just as is sometimes like endive or radicchio, trevisio. Those greens like that are nice and trickery things like that, that are in like the chicory family. And you don't have to have like a full blown salad. You can just have something that has a couple of raw slices of endive or radicchio, or you could have, let's say shrimp on like a, a bed of radicchio or something. You don't have to like a full blown, like huge, big salad. I'm not really suggesting that. Like when I, when I make stuff, like I'll put like a little bit of like, you know, celery microgreens on top of something or top it with tomato. It doesn't have to be this like, humongous bowl of raw vegetation because Eating that is going to be very hard to digest for most people. And that's not really, we weren't really ever intended to eat that way. And probably most people, especially in the West, grew up with the connotation that salad was a very healthy thing. I didn't really grow up with salad. So I've always kind of had this relationship where I was like, no, nah, I'm not really. Always go for the cooked vegetables over the raw ones. But I grew up, if anything, with this idea of a salad being like a quick pickle, where it was actually pickled with like salt or, or other things. And then the vegetables were pressed and that supposedly made them more digestible. And then that was the quote salad. So salad's one of those things that we're always talking about. And of course, I'm not talking about like an egg salad or a shrimp salad. I'm talking about a bunch of like chopped up leaves in a bowl. That's what I really mean. Not to say that you shouldn't be eating vegetables or you shouldn't be eating raw vegetables, just the idea of eating a humongous bowl of raw leaves and such isn't really the best uh, digestive move. Other things you can do, tangerine or orange peel. You can add this to dishes like rice pilaf. You can add this to tea. These are bitter in flavor. So that's also very nice and stimulating for the liver. Um, you could also do, like I said, lemon juice earlier or lime juice, sprinkle over vegetables, fish, chicken, you know, whatever, whatever you're eating, whatever you like. So those are some easy ideas of foods to increase. And here's a bit more. Uh, since irritation and sense of constriction are hallmarks of this pattern, someone with liver key stagnation may be easily overwhelmed or frustrated by complicated nutrition. So sometimes when you're working with someone, you can kind of tell that they have this because they're just so frustrated and thinking like, oh, I have to do all these things. Like that's because their motivation is really low because their liver is in the shitter, unfortunately, right? So that's something to be aware of in yourself or if, you know, if you're working with people, things of that nature. So here is a little bit just to end this, this liver key stagnation bit about just some things that are helpful and some things that ag that aggravate in regards to food, but also in regards to lifestyle habits. So let's start with what's helpful. So here are some things that are helpful for liver key stagnation. 
lightly cooked or steamed vegetables, cooking them more in like a softer way, you know, saute and steam. I mean, you could do roasting and such like that, but they're typically going to be most digestible when they're lightly cooked via sauteing or steaming in a monounsaturated or saturated fat. Cucumbers, like we had just said, fish, um, fruit, especially melon is actually really good for liver key stagnation. I'm a big fan of cantaloupe, love cantaloupe. Uh, cooking foods in more gentle ways, like using like more broth or like, you know, sauteing as opposed to like deep frying, you know, that type of stuff can cause stagnation. Can we have these foods occasionally? Yeah. It's not about, like I said earlier, taking on either extreme, but if someone is feeling not so good, they, they have to be able at some point to be able to make the connection between what they're eating and how they're feeling. Bitter greens. We talked about that. Dandelion, escarole, radicchio, celery, goat yogurt. I pretty much only recommend the, the protein rich dairy be, um, of goat or sheep origin for the most part. I mean, there sometimes it's a little bit different, but I mean, I guess really just like butter and ghee and sometimes yogurt because yogurt's kind of the bacteria has been altered. So that kind of alters the way the protein breaks down. But overall, I would always recommend goat and sheep over cow. Cow is, um, is most of the time it's not going to be A2. So it's going to be hybridized or I like to say miscegenated, right? And I just think from a perspective of, of them calling us goyim, or I like to say goyim, do we really want to be eating a lot of cow? I don't know. It's just something that I've been thinking about. I mean, I didn't grow up eating cows, so, and I did for a couple of years, but now I'm like, I'm totally off of beef. Um, and I really just eat a little, little bit of like cow dairy, mostly, mostly butter and ghee. So just something to consider right there. Just thinking about it from a, a big panoramic perspective. It's not about being anti-dairy, anti-meat. It's about making the best choice within the choice that you have. Mung beans, or I like to call them dung beans just to be funny, but mung beans are one of the things that can also help with liver key stagnation. There's a wonderful dish in the Vedic or Ayurvedic tradition called kichidi. I actually have, if you look in the archives of the show, there is um, a show I did on kichidi, which is a Ayurvedic stew that features mung beans. So that's something that you can think about. We talked about spirulina. So there's that. Um, and just, you know, just green veggies and in, in general, lightly cooked green veggies. I always favor the Japanese or the Asian vegetables more. Like I like the Chinese broccoli, the gailan. I like yu choy. I like bok choy. So I, I, watercress, I adore. Watercress is really good for liver key stagnation, but a little harder to get these greens depending on on where you live, but other stuff is fine too. Like dandelion greens are, are really, really nice and really tasty. Epiphany said, I grew up with iceberg lettuce, tomato, and cucumber in our salad, sometimes red onion. That sounds like the classic salads of, uh, of that type of like time, because now everyone's like what hooked on the, the greens, like the deep greens. Like now we've been told like iceberg lettuce is the worst thing in the world, which is actually kind of a unique thing to say, because it's actually a very relaxing food because it has natural opiate qualities. Actually, it was Agnes von der Planets that, that taught me that little tidbit of information. And it's a good source of silica, something that we really don't have a lot of in, in the diet. So we're always told iceberg lettuce has zero nutrition and it's not necessarily true. It's nice to have a crisp, a crisp piece, you know, or just to sometimes if you want like a light thing to wrap something in, I like the idea of like using a piece of iceberg lettuce to like make like a shrimp wrap or a chicken wrap. So again, not eating a huge bowl 
of it, but, you know, wrapping up stuff and having a little bit here and there. I think oftentimes we get this idea of using things in the wrong quantities, and that sometimes can cause the ailment, even if the food itself is not necessarily deleterious, the way that we're eating it can, can be deleterious. So those were all foods that can help with liver key stagnation. Now, what are some foods that may aggravate liver key stagnation? Coffee, black tea, and sodas with caffeine, like uh, colas or yeah, I guess just cola. I think cola's not root beer. Okay. No, I never had that stuff, so I don't really know. But yeah, coffee, black tea, and sodas. And you might say, why isn't uh, green tea on here? Green tea is a little bit different with the way it works. It's also not as acidic. All of those things I just mentioned are, are acidic. So that's something to remember right there. And now I'm just going to bring up something about coffee that I talked about the other day on the, on the, uh, one of the channels, but it's important, especially if you don't follow on the channel. And if you don't, um, if you're not following on the channels, uh, and if you want to be on the telegram channel and you don't know if you want to take the, the plunge or not, I'm personally inviting you to join the white wellness discourse. We've got a lot of great conversations going on in there and all the information from all the other channels with the exception of the cooking channel funnels into the white wellness discourse. So if you are looking for groovy people who you want to talk to about health from a holistic racial perspective, join over at the white wellness discourse. So here's a bit more expanding on uh, the TCM idea of coffee and it causing uh, liver key stagnation or let's say aggravating it. So here's a bit of how that works from the TCM perspective. So here's what happens. Coffee disperses stagnant key. So let's say someone's got liver key stagnation. They gravitate towards the coffee because it disperses the stagnant key, but it wastes the blood and the yin. And this is true for both the regular and the decaf. And I think one of the reasons that people who are hypothyroid go for the coffee typically is because sometimes hypothyroidism is described as uh, a pseudo liver disease. So that would essentially be liver key stagnation, right? So that's why someone with hypothyroidism would gravitate towards coffee because it liberates or disperses the stagnant key but it wastes the blood and the yin. And this is true for both regular and decaf. It's not necessarily just the caffeine. It's more than that. Coffee gives a sense of energy by freeing up the stuck key. Women who experience any kind of menstrual reproductive tract or breast disorder should avoid coffee. Sometimes there's a correlation, I think, especially for our race with it causing fibrocystic breasts for women. So that's something to consider right there. It's possible that we, based on our unique biology, we may be reacting to coffee in a different way. And I talked about this on the last broadcast. It's really not an indigenous food to Europe. It's really a food of more of the, the browner nations of the world. So that's why many of us may feel better not having it or doing something like tea, which is even though tea has some, I guess, some, some areas of the world that have tea or like more brown, but also we have, you know, areas of like Asia and stuff like that, which is not to say that that we're cousins with them in a racial sense, but I think there's definitely something there in regards to more of a high culture with, with North, North Asians and Aryan peoples than there are with other people. So taking that all into, into consideration, the reason why coffee may be somewhat more deleterious for white women is because it's really not an indigenous food for us. And finally, it's not the caffeine alone in coffee that's the offending substance. If that was true, then, you know, yerba and green tea 
other stuff could be of deleterious nature. It's the many volatile oils in the coffee bean, which actually are the cause. So just a little bit there of how to see it, right? We want to see it from this nuanced TCM perspective. So again, going back to what aggravates liver key, coffee, black tea, Coca-Cola, or just colas, whether it's Coca-Cola, you know, Pepsi, whatever, I don't know, whatever it is, thick or creamy sauces, those oftentimes are going to be like cooked. So that could be kind of, you know, intense, like cooked dairy to eat that. We talked about spicy, too many spices cannot be so good. Uh, alcohol, of course, I think that's pretty... Um, self-explanatory and probably the the spirits like what they call the hard stuff I remember Beavis and Budhead used to call it the hard stuff so the hard stuff like gin and things like that as tasty as gin is that would probably aggravate liver key stagnation more than let's say red wine or beer but then again beer these days is loaded with glyphosate so it's almost like it's a it's a pick and choose sometimes of i typically when it comes to alcohol i don't necessarily go for the type of alcohol i go for what country it's from is it clean for beer does it pass like the german beer purity laws i go more than that than just saying like i'm going to go for gin or or red wine or beer so other things that can aggravate liver key stagnation could even be taking in too many ruminant meats, even though nutritious. So lamb and beef from a TCM perspective are considered very hot or like very hot foods. Like I don't mean hot, spicy or hot in temperature. I mean, they can form excess heat in the body and that could actually aggravate the liver and make some people angry. That's why oftentimes vegans will use the argument that meat makes people angry it really depends on the person, but the person's already like very young and running at like a very kind of like high frequency of like, you know, tempers flaring. Maybe they have more of like the pitta uh, dosha from the Ayurvedic perspective where, you know, they're just, they sweat a lot. They get red when they're pissed off. They can't do spicy food too well. This is the kind of person that maybe would be better leaning back a little bit on those and, and procuring or looking towards other types of protein. And I'm still in favor of a of a diet that's high in protein. I think that's really important. It's just what proteins work best for you, right? It's going to be different for me than it is for other people. Also things that can aggravate liver key stagnation, French fries, onion rings, you know, things like that. Uh, excessive consuming of sweets, um, heavy complicated meals and supersized meals. So all of those can have a negative effect on uh, one's liver key. A little bit there. And then what are some activities to free the liver and some activities that will stagnate the liver? So freeing the liver, a brisk walk, which is always great. It's great to get outside, breathe the fresh air. Maybe you do a little mini clip and you walk around one of your favorite sanctuaries if you're me. It could also help balance your pelvis too. So if ladies or even guys, but more common ladies are dealing with like a, a pelvic type of thing going on. And oftentimes for us, since we have a uterus, it can move into different places, like if we have a shock or a trauma or a fall. So brisk walking can actually help with pelvic alignment. Biking, swimming, jogging, dancing, doing creative things, writing in a journal, painting, sculpting, singing, chanting, all of this is, is really good for the liver. Sharing your feelings, of course, maybe with humans that you trust. Uh, punching pillows, martial arts, uh, pranayama or conscious breathing. These are all great for freeing the liver and getting rid of stagnation. And then what are things that can stagnate the liver? Not exercising, sitting in a traffic jam. And yeah, sometimes we're going to deal with these things in our life. Like we don't ask to sit in a traffic jam. We may have a day where exercise is the last thing on our list, but just to know that these things can stagnate and that 
it's not always going to be like that, but we just, we just know this going forward. Having no creative outlet can be very stagnant to the liver. So let's say you're doing everything, you know, you're going to the gym, you're eating your meals, you're doing everything quote correctly, but you have no creative outlet. You could still have liver key stagnation, excessive work, spending a long time in a situation where you feel trapped, stuck, or something like that, that could also really stagnate the liver, repressing your feelings as opposed to sharing them, which oftentimes some of us, especially we're taught that men aren't supposed to share their feelings. That's not true. Just need a safe outlet to share them. Stress, of course, will stagnate the liver, obviously. Comparing oneself to others in a negative way. So, you know, scrolling the anti-social medias, um, that can be very stagnating to the liver. And of course, it could be a boost too, depending on what you look at. It's really about what what you do and how you curate it for yourself and excessive video gaming could also stagnate the liver, which makes, makes sense. So it seems like this modern life of no exercise, traffic jams, no creative outlet, work, 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 being in situations where you feel stuck or trapped, repressing your feelings, being stressed, comparing yourself and gaming. We can see the modern culture, the Oyed AI culture is set up to create liver key stagnation. And we're seeing it more and more in, in youth because this we have this whole indoor culture going on, which we've had for a long time, even before Oyed AI, we had an indoor culture, not like in the earlier days when you know the Gen X kids were latchkey kids and the millennials, many of them rode their bikes and did things like that. But we don't really have that type of uh, latchkey culture anymore. I don't even know if people even know what that means because the world's changed so much. Just a guy is saying, I don't know. Anytime I share my feelings with even my wife or parents, they always, always make me wish I'd never shared. It's just a tough one for a guy. Well, I'm sorry to hear um, that you're dealing with that. And yeah, it can be tougher for guys because we've been, or men have been conditioned to not share their feelings, or there's, there's a weakness to not sharing our feelings, or there's a weakness to crying. But I don't think that's true. Of course, if it was excessive, that would be probably a problem for both males and females if it was excessive, but maybe it's just that we have such a poor understanding of what actually a man or a woman is in this culture. And gosh, it's getting more confusing all the time. Just like that film that I had reviewed, I think two weeks ago, what is a woman? Like now we're actually asking that question. Things have been so degradated for so long, unfortunately. Right. But I think in the future, there has to be some type of change, especially with how this transsexual like avalanche is happening, where things are just rolling into just post, 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 post reality at like a very, very intense, uh, intense fashion. There has to be some type of backlash to all of this, right? Whether it's a backlash with people being angry or it's just a backlash with people actually saying that's a man and that's a woman. We're, we're great, but we've got different differences, right? So I think that maybe we need like a template or something just to kind of be able to comprehend what a man is and what a woman is, because so many of us have been sold a terrible bill of goods of what that consists of, right? And it's, it's not necessarily true. Epiphany is saying families are supposed to be a safe haven. We've lost that. Yeah, well said. Absolutely. And that's that's how it was historically for so long. And when someone was dealing with any problem, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and it's all, you know, it's all combined, we would seek the aid of our family. And now what do we do? We go to see uh, Dr. Z and sit on Dr. Z's couch and tell someone who we've never met all of our problems, right? And that's really, I mean, sometimes that can help 
So you have somebody in your life who's a witness for it and says, oh, yeah, I, I agree with you. That did happen as opposed to, you know, being gaslit maybe by family, which is even worse than having your family support you and be a safe haven. They could be gaslighting you and abusing you, which is more of a common occurrence nowadays than probably ever before, especially with this AI culture of like the snitch culture and things of that, that nature. But we've lost the ball on what anything means, man, woman, boy, girl, family, like all of these things have been mutated by the Skeksis system to serve their ultimate goal of, of control, right? It's unfortunate. So that was the end of that article there about liver key stagnation and how that works. And we did spend a long time today talking about the stagnation, but I really wanted to break it down for everybody so they get a good idea of what this is. And just to use this show is kind of like a handy thing to have. So you could always listen back and say, oh, you know, I'm dealing with this right now. Or maybe you'll think of that phrase, liver key stagnation, and maybe you'll, you'll type it into Google and then you'll do your own searching. So it's always good to have like that, that little drop in the bucket that gives the impetus for, you know, more research on this or just noticing the patterns of your own body, because look at what's happened with the, with the medical system. Like they're forcing people out of it who have worked in it for years. Many people have gotten out of it. They're doing stuff that's very anti-white in the entire system, right? So it's really important that we gain knowledge, just basic knowledge of how our bodies work so we can help each other be our own medicine men and our own medicine women so we can help ourselves and others because there could be a time when they just completely ban us from that system where we just more realistically, we just want nothing to do with it at a certain point, right? Because it's going to be so, so anti not even anti-white, anti-human, but the anti-whiteness is part of the anti-human crusade. You know, it, it starts with that, just like the the transsexualism. It's the, it's the breakdown of like um, sexual dimorphism. So they have to start somewhere with what they're doing. But having this knowledge, knowing these things, as time goes on, it's going to become a very, very important feather in one's cap to know about a health and wellness and things like that. Who's going to care about, I don't know, like all the, the modern jobs like who's going to give a shit about having a phd in gender studies like seriously what does that matter that's really never mattered but it matters less now than it probably ever has before we should we should care about animal husbandry you know midwifery um things like this like who who cares about getting a zog degree in something that doesn't even let alone matter doesn't even exist it just it's it's a zoggler it's a it's a definite mind zoggler but we live in a, a world that is mind ogling. I mean, many of the things we see every day are mind ogling. I heard a story yesterday, speaking of mind ogling, that they were trying to induce some type of like law or something. I think in Australia, where if you were caught staring at someone for too long, that was like grounds for, I got it right here. Let me just bring it up on my phone. This was just this is so zoggy. Here it is. Um, there was a club in Australia that it will be against the rules to stare too long at someone. <laughs> wow. Is that considered like quota microaggression? Is that what that is? I mean, wow, that's crazy. But that's just proof that we live in this, this post-truth world that doesn't really have to be this way. And, you know, we could always be the blowback to it. That's why, you know, if we take back our key, if we understand the patterns that we're consciously or maybe more likely sub or unconsciously engaging in we can become more aware of how this works right makes sense when you really think about it from a panoramic way epiphany is saying what if you just zoned out 
looking at someone's general direction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What if you just like entered like a moment where you were like kind of like in your own head and you happen to be like looking in the direction of someone else? It's just about policing everyone's moment. It's like, oh, we, you know, you can't breathe here. You know, breathing, no breathing allowed. You know, it's, 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 and look, they've already imposed essentially a no breathing rule with Oyed AI. Now it's a no, no staring rule. It'll be no talking, right? It's just, yeah, exactly. What if you were just looking in someone's general direction? Like just, just happened to happen, right? Crazy very crazy. It's, just, it's almost like you want to laugh when you hear these things because they sound so hard to believe. But I guess this is really dystopian stuff that actually is is real on a certain it's not real real, but it's really happening, I guess is, is how it really goes. But crazy, really crazy. I'm trying to think if I have anything else for the broadcast for this week. I'm just kind of uh, cruising through any of the stuff that I had posted on the Telegram channel. Hmm, there's not too much going on. Oh, this is, this is Azir, reminds Azir. German euthanasia clinic refusing unvaccinated customers. This was actually, I think, a story that came out late last year, but gotta love the irony of that. Uh, euthanasia clinic refusing people who are unvaccinated. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> A lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. But even if it is crazy, does it mean that we have to succumb to the craziness? Like we can still live a good life. And I think one of the best ways to live a good life is to surround yourself with good things, whether it be virtually, like something like this, or whether it be in real life, right? Exo They Live is saying causes of gray hair. Good question. Um, multiple causes. Uh, stress, of course, is a big one. Um, that's always not going to be good for, you know, hair and, and skin and anything like that, all the body stuff. Uh, sometimes it's said to be a ratio of copper to zinc that is off and having too much iron in the system. We were talking earlier about people getting a lot of iron in their diet from, you know, all the cereals and the breads and the pastas and all that type of stuff. So you could try eating foods that are richer in copper and zinc, a shellfish particularly is is good you could do beef liver or any type of liver you want um particularly ruminant liver is rich in copper you can do bison or something like that if you prefer that um chicken thigh is rich in zinc you could do the spirulina we were talking about spirulina so things like that that's typically what i've heard it's um it's a copper zinc ratio thing and we oftentimes don't have a lot of sources of copper in the diet anymore back in the 40s like i think around World War II time, there was actually enough copper in the soil to make broccoli a legitimate source of it. But now it's, for the most part, it's going to be more animal-based foods. Well, spirulina is not animal-based, but um, liver is one. Bee pollen is also high in copper and um, shellfish, like I said, like oysters and things like that. And you're saying, um, thank you, getting them and way too young parents didn't get until 40s or 50s. I think about the stress level and maybe just think about your diet. I mean, I'm thinking maybe you grew up on more of the fortified foods than your parents did just because those of us who are younger, we had more of that. They started fortifying the food after World War II and they boosted it in the 60s, but it's more pervasive than ever before. Like even if you're going into like whole foods, don't think that everything in the store is healthy. Like there's plenty of organic things in there that are fortified. And now 
they realize that a lot of people don't eat a lot of those things anymore for whatever reason. Maybe they're, they're gluten-free. So now they're fortifying all the gluten-free foods as well. Like I see all these gluten-free foods. And of course, 90% of this or 95% is like absolute xyle sludge. But now they're fortifying these gluten-free flours that are replacing like wheat flour one for one. If someone's dealing with a gluten issue, you have to ask yourself why, first of all. But if you just don't want to eat it for whatever reason or, or mix up your grains, then make your own gluten-free flour. Don't buy the stuff in the store. But I would say stress is probably a driving factor. Uh, and I know it's a much stressful time to be you know, younger than it is what, the 90s or the 2000s. So I think just knowing that, that it's harder being, you know, younger and dealing with the stresses and stuff, finding ways to maybe mitigate the stress or look, look at it in a different, in a different way. And then think of maybe eating stuff that's a bit better, but the stress is, is the hard one. And of course, once we have the iron in our system, it can be, a you know, it, it takes work for it to get out. Ladies at least get the once a month detox for many decades of their life, but men don't really have a way to detox. Some men are giving blood now, but then if you give blood, you you give away your bodily material. And if you have a certain blood type, they may never stop calling you. But yeah, that would basically be my advice is to get, get the stress good. Years of enriched white flour. Yeah. Many of us, I mean, a lot of us, that's what we grew up on. That's what, that's what was available. And we didn't know any better. We just saw the label and said, oh, enriched more vitamins. This is good. And something else to be noted about iron. There's also that graphene goyim show I did. Um, I think it was last summer. I give a lot of information on that show. So that's to be a good show to listen back in the archives. But once we have the iron in there, it could also cause more fear. So our fear mechanism can be like, you know, going off like more. I'm thinking that many people who fell for the OEDI PSYOP probably had a very high level of iron. Not to say that we could have a high level and not be, and not, and we, we just were unfazable. We couldn't, we couldn't be penetrated by that. But something else to note is that these enriched foods, the iron fortification can actually scar the microvilli of the intestine. So that's something else that's a very unsavory aspect. And that's why sometimes people take these iron fortified foods or they take like a iron pill, like an iron supplement. They always say, oh, I can't go to the bathroom. That's because it's scarring the microvilli of the intestine. So there's, there's many reasons why this, why this would be happening. But yeah, I know it's a bummer. Sometimes it's a bummer finding these things out. But you know, knowledge is power. It's good to know these things. The the younger we are when we can find these things out, the better. And there's also that interplay of of copper and iron with iron being red when it oxidizes and then copper being, you know, blue or what they call like blue blood. So then it makes me think of the whole like red pill thing. Like do we really want to be red pilled if that's iron? If we want to be blue pilled, maybe we've got it wrong. Maybe we just don't want to be pilled, period. <laughs> maybe that's better. Stay away from the pills, eat good food, take care of your liver, and the rest will fall into place. Maybe that's really the message that's supposed to be given. So I think we'll wrap it up here because we're getting to the two-hour mark. Um, so yeah, that was just Taking Back Your Key with um, me, your host, Tabitha, on White Wellness Radio. I hope you enjoyed this broadcast. And I will be taking a little bit of a hiatus for the next I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks or so. I might do little mini clips here and there, but I've been going really strong all summer long, churning out shows, I think every single week. So I'm going to just take a little bit of a um, late summer, early autumnal break. I'll recalibrate myself and I'll be coming back with, um, with great information that you've come to know and enjoy. 
Oh, I appreciate that, XO. Have a good day. Appreciate the shows. Thank you. So yeah, that's pretty much just wanted to let everyone know about my little schedule right there. And the Telegram, of course, will still be running. I'm not going anywhere. It's just a little little uh, recalibration break, if you will. And Nicholas is saying, thanks for the show and all the Telegram posts. Enjoy your rest. Thank you. I appreciate that, Nicholas. And thank you, Epiphany, too. Take care of your health. Always good to hear that. So yeah, that's it. Uh, thank you for being here. Whether you're listening live or in the archives, it's always a pleasure to have you here to listen uh, to the shows. And I'm wishing you an amazing Tuesday. This is the uh, second to last day of August. So I guess we'll be, we'll be reconnecting at some point in the month of September. So have a wonderful day. Take care of yourself. And we'll be connecting again very soon. Satnam, everybody.